What an incredibly massive challenge to us as a church who lives so comfortably and so comfortably with our faith and so comfortably with the, the, the pleasures that we have. And uh, yet the challenge is to us as well. So uh, we are jump of weeks in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Last week we took a brief pause to uh, look at the vision for 2018. And just to say, if you never managed to get to be here last week, Sunday, I strongly encourage, download the message and see what God is wanting for us as a church. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to boldness. It's a challenge to courage. Um, and at the same time, if you also missed the GRM meeting, which some of you might know as more of an AGM type meeting, that is also online, just so that we can be united as a church, updated, be on the same page when it comes to issues of our finances, uh, when it comes to issues of some of the leadership transitions we've been looking at, as well as just where we are with regards to our building program. But the, the real challenge from last week without re-preaching the sermon is that God is calling us to be bold and courageous. God is calling us to step forward as a church, not waiting for God to move, and then we kind of have this easy path forward, but knowing that God is calling us forward, and we walk and we see how God acts. Where are we walking? Well, God is asking us to walk into territories that we've been afraid of. God is asking us to walk into our families, walk into our neighborhoods, walking into our workplaces as the church, as the church, and see what God does as we live lives walking by faith. Uh, and 1 Peter is going to be doing exactly that. So turn with me. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4. And Peter is going to teach us. This is so apt. Peter is going to teach us to live boldly, to live boldly. Now, Christianity has got a bit of a strange reputation and a bit of a strange history when it comes to how we live out our faith in what we would call the real world. How we do faith on Monday, how we do faith on, on the social media, how we do faith at work, how we do faith at school, and how we engage with culture. And sometimes we've dropped the ball, and sometimes people have lived with great courage and boldness. Uh, so what does this look like? Peter's going to be teaching us this morning. Uh, but even if we go back as far as the time of Jesus, there were a number of different groups that had different kind of philosophies or mindsets as to how we, as people of faith, engage culture around us. Remember, Peter is writing to uh, a Christians who are living in a non-Christian culture. In fact, he's writing to Christians who are living in an anti-Christian culture where they were facing physical persecution. You and I are living, in case you haven't woken up yet, in a non-Christian culture. And increasingly, it's becoming an anti-Christian culture. And maybe you and I aren't being taken off to prison for our faith, but we are experiencing some of the onslaught that some of these Christians were experiencing. So the very real question is, how then do we live? In light of that, in light of the challenge, in light of the call to boldness, how do we live? And Peter's going to teach us to live boldly. But if we go back to Jesus' time, as I mentioned, number of groups engaging culture differently, engaging the people who are not of faith around them differently. Probably the, the best known group to you, especially if you've kind of grown up in church circles, are the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were kind of the legalists. They were the self-righteous people. So they kind of lived among the sinners, but their whole thing was, no, 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 we don't touch the sinners. 
All right, we don't, we don't eat with them. We don't touch them. We don't go near them. We don't talk to them. We don't sit down with them. So tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. No, no, no. We look down our self-righteous noses to the sinners. And I call the Pharisees' mindset the fort mindset. Meaning we're there, but, but man, we're in our safe little place. And if you want to be accepted by us, well, you need to climb this high wall of morality before we accept you. Uh, Larry Osborne calls them jerks for Jesus. Uh, and yeah, let me stop there. <laughs> then there was an, another group of uh, people around the time of Jesus, and, and maybe lesser known to some of you, if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, or been to Israel, or been around the Dead Sea, the caves there, there was a group of people known as the Essenes, and they lived in the caves, and their mindset was this, oh man, Israel's so messed up and, and so broken and the Romans are so evil and so sinful and in fact, the temple system is so messed up, we're gonna retreat. We're gonna leave. We're gonna have a holy little huddle over here and the rest of the world could go to hell as far as we're concerned. All right, so, so that's what I call the island mentality, retreating from culture, not engaging then there was a group of people known as the zealots. Maybe you remember Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He was a zealot and they had a completely different mindset. They said, no, no, here we are. We're God's people. We're so passionate about the land of Israel. That is God. We're so passionate about the kingdom. We're going to take it by force. So quite literally, zealots were violently opposing the Romans. Uh, I call this the coercion mentality, the coercion mentality. We've heard strange stories, for example, during the Reformation of guys who get so fired up and kind of right-hearted but wrong-headed and misguided zeal that they got a whole lot of Christians and they got their pitchforks and they just ran these Christians through a river and once they got to the other side, they got their baptismal certificates, all right? Uh, declared them baptized. Now, now that's the coercion mindset. I'm going to force you into the kingdom of God. I've got this angry, misguided zeal. Maybe you've seen it on Facebook. Maybe you've seen it in your workplace. Maybe you've seen it in your own heart. I'm so zealous for God, but it's misguided and I'm gonna do this forcefully. Then there was another group of people known as the Herodians. The Herodians at the time of Jesus, they kind of recognized, okay, well, Rome's here and they're here to stay and Rome's this big you know, army and there's nothing we can do about it. So if you can't beat him, join him. So the Herodians are the compromisers. They chameleoned between their sort of Jewishness and their ethnicity and maintaining some semblance of their faith and yet they compromised by joining the Romans and working for the Romans. And we're gonna talk later about being compromisers, about living a compromising hypocritical life. So this is the environment that Jesus comes into. And maybe we've seen some of that in our own hearts. And yet Jesus was none of these. And yet Jesus impacted culture. He was among, he was among sinners. And Peter is gonna teach us the Jesus way. Peter's gonna teach us the Jesus way. And if we look at these verses, the first thing I believe Peter teaches us to do is to love boldly, to love boldly. How does he teach us this? Well, let's look in three verses eight to nine and then in chapter four, verses eight to 10. 
Finally, all of you, remember he's speaking to believers under persecution. I'm teaching you to engage culture. But finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. And then chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, if the the Essenes mentality was to retreat in a judgmental way, to retreat, if the Pharisees' way was to judge, be self-righteous, if the Zealots' way was violence and to coerce, if the Herodians' was to compromise, if I had to try and give language, it's not perfect language, I wish I could come up with a better metaphor, but if I had to think of the Jesus' way, it is the fueling station way. The fueling station way, that if we are going to make an impact in culture, if we are going to engage the world that we are in, we need to be fueled up in order to go. We don't hang out at the petrol station, all right? We get our fuel and then we get out into the real world. So what do these verses have to do with loving boldly and loving radically? Well, when we look at how Jesus did this, we, we see that Jesus was filled up with love in order to love. Maybe you've heard of the love tank sort of metaphor. If you've ever been through a pre-marriage course or a marriage course, just the whole idea that if I'm going to love, if I'm going to give, if I'm going to love my wife, if I'm going to love my kids, if I'm going to um, love the world, if I'm going to love the unlovely, and if I'm going to sacrifice myself in a loving way, I need to be giving of myself. And if I have this sort of resource that's going out of me, I need to make sure that resource is filled up within me. As my love tank empties, I need to make sure that my love tank is being filled up. And if we're going to love boldly, we need to ensure that we are giving and receiving love in such a way that we are in Encouraged, meaning courage is given to us. We are strengthened. Our love tanks are built up. And Peter's saying, hey guys, if you're going to love these people who do not believe what you believe and are so different and are sometimes even opposing you, if you're going to repay sin with blessing, you need to make sure you're in a place where you are receiving love. How did Jesus model this? On one hand, we see that Jesus regularly just came before his father in private and received love. He received identity. This wasn't Jesus ticking the quiet time box, hoping that God in heaven noticed. No, he was actually abiding, being filled with the love and the spirits of God. But the other way that Jesus experienced this, and this is maybe, uh, we haven't maybe thought about it as much, is that Jesus surrounded himself with a community of faith where he received friendship and love and encouragement. And even though the disciples were far from perfect, Jesus had his home base. He was equipped by the Father with love and he had his home base where he could be safe and even in an imperfect place, he could receive love and then go out into this world and give and give and give and then receive love from his Father, receive love from his community of faith and then give and give and give. And Peter's saying, guys, if we're gonna love out there, we need to have a community of faith around us. And yes, I'll be the first to admit, our community of faith is never going to be perfect. 
Riverside is never going to be perfect. Your small group is never going to be perfect. But we absolutely believe that as much as we, on our own, we come before God in the model of Jesus, we receive His love, we receive identity in Him, we are strengthened by Him, we receive His presence, we also, God gives us a community of faith to gather around us and encourage us. That's why we're so passionate about this large gathering. We're so passionate about life groups and small groups. So that if we're going to give we are also receiving. Now there's a verse in Hebrews 10 that is often used to kind of get people to go to church very regularly. And, and the verse does say as much. But I wanted to notice the motives. Hebrews 10 verses 24 to 25. And, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How are we going to do this? How, how are we going to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, let us not give up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of already doing. But let us encourage us. Let us, sorry, let us encourage one another. When we look at these verses in 1 Peter 3, we're going to be living in harmony with one another. We're going to be experiencing a place, small group, a ministry space, a church of peace. We're going to be experiencing sympathy. We're going to be loved as brothers and sisters. We're going to give and experience compassion. We're going to uh, live in a humble way. We are going to be empowered to go out into this world and replay uh, instead of evil with evil, but evil with blessing. Four verses eight. We're going to experience love because love covers over our sins. So in our church community, it's going to be a place where we are safe, where we can Come with our issues and still experience love. We're going to experience, we're going to be in one another's homes as we offer hospitality to one another. We are going to serve and we're going to be served at ministering God's grace. Jesus and Peter are saying, as much as they modeled it themselves, if you're going to love boldly, ensure that you're surrounded by people who are going to love you, who you are loving, that are going to encourage you and strengthen you. Fill you up in the name of Jesus so that when we go back to our spaces, be it home, family, work, the mission field, North Korea, we've got something to give. That's going to help us love boldly. The second thing teacher, uh, Peter teaches us this morning is to do good boldly. We're engaging a culture and he's saying, do good boldly. How does he say this? Well, verse nine, we've already looked at it, but do not repay evil with evil or insult with insults but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. It's kind of saying, you know, when you're driving around and someone cuts you off in traffic and uh, you kind of do the, you know, the universal sign of I'm frustrated with what you've just done. He gives you another universal sign telling you where you can go stick it. And uh, how do we respond? We want to respond insult with insults, evil with evil. How are we ever going to be empowered to respond to evil with blessing? Well, we're going to be in a community of love and we're going to learn to love. We're going to do good boldly. Even when the traffic is hectic, even when the queues are hectic, even when you wait in a queue for three hours, you get to the front and the person goes for lunch. Even when your boss is treating you like absolute trash, we are going to repay evil with blessings. We're going to do good boldly. Let's go to verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And it's so easy 
for us, but it's so easy for the world. If, if we respond with evil, if we respond with violence and, and you know how the words go and kind of the narrative goes, that, that just becomes this flywheel of increasing hostility. But when we press stop on that and we respond with the blessing, how are those going to continue doing evil to us if we are going to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. Now the way Jesus said it very famously, he said you, his followers, he said you're salt of the earth. And salt cannot remain in the salt shaker. Salt needs to get out to actually flavor the world and actually bring something of God's goodness to the world. You're the salt of the earth. A few verses later, uh, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Everyone's going to see it. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Do good boldly so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, I've mentioned a number of times, and I know some of you are like, hey, that's so cool. Some of you don't know what to do with this fact. But um, for a number of years, I was in a punk rock band. We did the sort of the club thing and the, the festival thing and the traveling thing. And um, the, the band that we were in, we, we were all Christians in the band, but we weren't a Christian band. In other words, we weren't really singing about Jesus. We were singing about dumb teenage stuff and uh, having as much fun as we could in the same time. But being Christians, the way that we try to picture ourselves in the context of a very anti-Christian environment was this. If only we can show the world that you can be cool and Christian. That was our agenda. Let's be cool and let's be Christian for Jesus. Now again, right-hearted, wrong-headed. Because it eventually became much more about fitting in than living boldly. Now there's nothing wrong with listening to punk rock music or whatever else floats your boat. There's nothing wrong with dressing some of the clothes that some of our subcultures wear. But for us, it became about fitting in and not about doing good boldly and not about loving boldly. And, and Peter's gonna challenge us. He's gonna challenge the hypocrites in us. And for some of us, he's gonna challenge the Herodian in us, the compromising hypocrites, where we say one thing, but the, our lives do not reflect it. But he's also going to challenge the judgmental hypocrites, the Pharisee in us. When we go out in this world and we look down our nose at everyone around us, how does he do that? Well, turn with me to chapter four. We're going to look at the first five verses. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, this is the gospel, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. So Jesus is the gospel. He's done this for us and now it's gonna change us and affect us. Verse two, as a result, he, that's you and me, does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather the will of God. As a result of the gospel, Christ's suffering for us, we live differently I heard a pastor talking the other day just kind of he came to a phase in his ministry where he had to stand up in front of his church and just say hey church something I've realized about myself is I'm a full-time pastor but a part-time Christian the pastor thing man I, I know how to talk the talk and walk the walk and make everyone know that, that I'm the pastor and I'm large and in charge but when it comes to my own faith 
It's a part-time deal for me. And he had to stand in front of his church and say, guys, forgive me for that. But before we get on the, the, the Pharisee bandwagon, I think some of us can be full-time teachers and part-time Christians. We live our lives fully for something else other than the kingdom. We may be part-time, full-time business owners and part-time Christians. Even good things, full-time dads, part-time Christians. And Peter's saying, guys, if, if you have submitted yourself to this work of Christ, there is going to be a lifestyle that follows whereby you live for Him every single minute of the day, including when you're at work and at varsity and at school and with your family. Verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. We call these our BC days, our before Christ days. For you have spent enough time doing what they choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. See, Peter's assuming that something has changed in how you live. You used to do these things, but now you don't for the sake of living these lives that are fully devoted to Him. And this is why he's warning us about being that compromising hypocrite. He's warning us about being the Herodians. If you can't beat him, join him. You know, I, I'm out there in the world and I'm going to be cool for Jesus. All right, and, and, and I'm going to kind of, you know, kind of live this sort of balanced life which never really becomes this balanced life and the things that I used to do, I still kind of do. And we're wondering why the people around us are not seeing the hope in us that is different. Verse five. But they, meaning those who do not know Christ, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Meaning, on the other hand, while you're not supposed to be a compromising hypocrite like the Herodians, don't be a jerk for Jesus either. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a judgmental hypocrite that when you're with your non-Christian friends, they just see the judgmentalism ooze from you. Because that's not your job. That's God's job. Billy Graham, as you know, famously, just passed away just over two weeks ago, just under two weeks ago, and he said this, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. So doing good boldly and loving boldly means, yes, we we are going to be in culture. We're not going to be running away like the Essenes. We're not going to be judgmental jerks for Jesus. Neither are we going to be compromising uh, for the sake of, in inverted commas, the gospel. No, we're going to hold to our convictions and we're going to do good and we're going to live and love boldly. But at the same time, we're going to love the Jesus way. It says here, verse four, they think it's strange. Steve, you used to do this, but now you don't. Hey, they may even tease us and mock us for it. But hey, we're here to live boldly. And then finally, we're gonna speak boldly. 1 Peter 3, verses 15, one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, teaching us how to live in this world. We're gonna speak boldly. 1 Peter 3, verses 15. But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord, meaning I am His. I'm living 
for him. In the center of my being, he is my king. Everything I do from this point onwards flows out of that space in my heart. Just get this right. Don't get the outward behavior right. Get the inward thing right. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Notice how the curiosity that is going to come our way is going to be inspired by one thing. Us hoping differently. Us living in a world as much as everyone walks around with the same sets of circumstances that we do, us living in a political, economical environment that is straining, that is difficult, that is challenging, people looking at our lives saying, but you guys from Riverside, why are you filled with such hope? Why do you live with such hope? That's so weird. Now notice, if we're the compromising hypocrites, they're not gonna ask us about the hope because we're just blending in too much. But if we're the judgmental hypocrites, they don't want to know about it. They want to know why we're so right. They want to know why we have hope. Peter's encouraging us to live in this world with hope. And then he's saying, when the curiosity comes your way, speak boldly. Always be prepared to give an answer. Now, there's a famous axiom that's gone around, and I understand what he's trying to say, and therefore I don't want to diss it completely. Um, Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. You've heard that before? Now, I love what he's trying to say. It's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't just say things. Actually, live it out. Preach the gospel with your life and when necessary, use words. But sometimes that can actually be taken to an extreme. It's like, feed the poor and when necessary, use food. <laughs> now, the time comes when we're going to speak. Faith comes by hearing. We're going to speak boldly. And how are we going to do this? It says here, we must be ready, we must be prepared. That talks about our equipping. And it says we we should be ready to give an answer. The Greek word there is the word apologia, which is the word from which we get our word in Christian circles, apologetics, which is all about being able to give a rational and winsome defense for our faith. So as our colleagues come with adult questions, we can give them adult answers, as Andy Stanley says. We need to arm and equip ourselves and we're gonna be doing this in the the middle of the year. That as a church, that as these tough questions come our way, we can give intelligence, thoughtful, winsome, true, intelligent, uh, cogent answers to people's difficult questions. That means we need to mature. Our roots need to go deeper and then we're ready and then we're prepared so that when people ask for the hope, we can speak, we can speak. And again, How are we gonna do this? And I want us just to say these words out loud. It says we're gonna do this with gentleness and respect. Say it with me. Gentleness and respect. Now, in case you forget, one more time. Gentleness and respect. When we engage culture who are far from God, and they've got hurts and they've got questions and we want to show them a loving Jesus. We're going to model that with the heart of God and we're going to engage them with gentleness and respect. It's not about how right you are. 
We're not going to be like the zealots who are going to force people with our anger and our rhetoric into the kingdom. We're not going to be like the Pharisees who are judgmental. We're not going to judge people into the kingdom. We're not going to be like the Herodians who don't even speak up. We're going to engage with love. Speaking the truth in love with gentleness and respect. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way. So how are we going to do this? And whenever I think about us engaging culture, I always think about Jesus. Peter taught us a couple of weeks ago, be holy as I am holy. And maybe for some of you, that looks like more like the Essenes who retreat or the Pharisees who are self-righteous than anything else. But if we think about Jesus, how is Jesus holy? Well, on one hand, he was the holy one. He never sinned. He never sinned in deed. He never sinned in motive. He never sinned in thought. He never sinned by omission, meaning he did fully everything the Father asked him to do. And yet at the same time, he hung out with sinners and tax collectors. In fact, the religious highbrows gave Jesus a tough time for doing that. They called him a glutton. They called him a drunkard. Now, I don't believe for one second Jesus got drunk but clearly he enjoyed a great meal with his guys enough to the degree that it irritated these religious types. I love the way Andy Stanley puts this. He says, people who are nothing like Jesus liked him. Never compromising, but loving and living boldly. So maybe, again, you're going to your context and you're thinking about being in a place where, again, maybe your boss is treating you like trash or uh, you're just in an environment where some of your friends who are just doing what they used to do and maybe some of the things you used to do and now you're wondering, but but what do I do? How do I be amongst them even when they're sinning and maybe I'm starting to feel uncomfortable with it? How do I come across non-judgmental, but how do I not compromise on the other hand? Probably the best advice I've ever heard on this. It's not from the Bible, I'm going to quote somebody. But get your pen, write this down. For me, this is the best advice I've ever heard when it comes to relating to people who are engaging in sin around you. Dallas Willard is a Christian philosopher who died sometime last year or the year before. And he says this, I'm just looking for it here. Is it on the screen? Offer gentle non-cooperation with evil. Offer gentle, non-cooperation with evil. Again, there are scenes not even around these people. Pharisees, I'm looking down at you. I'm telling you how evil you are, how wicked you are. You'll, you'll never act like this in my presence because I'm a Christian. Right? That's a Pharisee. The Herodian just kind of goes along with it, doesn't say anything, just kind of like, this is cool. The zealous, just, uh, and I get so angry and just, I'm going to make you lay hands on you right now and cast a demon of drunkenness out of you and, and get you saved. No, no, the, the Jesus way offer gentle non-cooperation with evil. If I think about Jesus having a meal with tax collectors, I don't think for one second a tax collector dropped the equivalent of the F-bomb and Jesus, oh, you say that one more time, I'm out of here. <laughs> no, people who were nothing like him liked him. So when our friends are engaging in sin, we don't judge We don't compromise. We are present like Jesus. And we just offer gentle non-cooperation with what they are doing. 
Warren, are you here? Where are you? Would you come and play for us? Because I want to bring it home for us. But just as we do that, I want to talk about one more practical way that we can live boldly and look at chapter 3, verses 21 with me. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying one of the ways we live boldly is by boldly taking steps and getting baptized. Now let's go back to the culture 2,000 years ago into which Peter was writing. They didn't have nice, wonderful churches with a nice baptismal font in the front for the baptismal service. They were out there and they would go and get baptized in a river and the very people who were persecuting him would see, oh, there goes Stephen. I wonder what he's doing with those guys. Oh, Stephen's getting baptized. And there's a target on my back as I boldly take that step to declare my faith in public. And for some of us, today is the day those excuses run out. Whatever they are, today is the day we declare, I am going to go public with my faith in a way that Jesus calls me to. That is to be baptized. Notice from these words, it's not baptism that saves us, not the removal of dirt that saves us, the pledge of a good conscience, meaning I commit my life to God. I'm His. I'm going to be living for Him and Him alone. And as He was raised from the dead, the resurrection. So I am raised from sin. I am raised to eternal life. That's what saves me. But right behind that, I demonstrate that in baptism. I know for some of us, we say, oh, I don't want to get baptized because you know, I'm, I'm so messed up still. And there's just so many things I need to sort out in my life first and then I'll get baptized. You know, the scriptures know of no such thing. While we were sinners, Christ died for us and raised us to life. And right behind that, we demonstrate that by getting baptized. It's not my works I trust, it's the work of Christ I trust. So after the service, we're going to ask if you have not been baptized and if God is speaking to you to take a bold step, put your ego behind you, put your excuses behind you and take a step of faith to get publicly baptized. Come to us afterwards. We're gonna take your name. We'll be in touch with you during the week and after the service next weekend, we're gonna have a baptismal service. Live boldly. Get baptized boldly. Some of us living here, as we think about us living our lives out in the world, are thinking to ourselves, you know, Stephen, I agree with everything you said, but I've blown it. I've blown my witness. For some of you, what that looks like is you've just retreated from the world like the Essenes. You've just retreated. You've become an island. You've got your Christian coffee and your Christian music and your Christian friends and your Christian notebooks and your Christian clothes and your Christian deodorants. And, and you just have your Christian friends and, and you don't have non-believing friends. Stephen, I, I, I'm kind of like in space here. I've blown it. And God's gonna challenge you today to courageously re-enter the world. Maybe some of you are saying, Stephen, I, I, I've blown it. I, I'm, the, I'm the Pharisee. 
Facebook. Judge, judge, judge. News 24. Judge, judge, judge. None of my non-Christian friends want me around them because if I'm honest with myself, I judge them. And even when I don't say a thing, I do it with my eyes. I'm going to lay that down boldly. Maybe you take it one step further and you're like the zealot. You, you, you are zealous for the kingdom, but you misguided in your zeal. And you know you've been pushing people away. Yes, you've been speaking, but you know you haven't been speaking with the heart of God. Maybe some of you recognize, Stephen, I'm the Herodian. I've blown it by compromising. God has done this work in me, but my life does not reflect it. My choices do not reflect it. The people who are around me do not think it's strange because nothing's changed about how I live. I've blown it. Maybe you're thinking of a time that you really did something complete. You got completely wasted uh, in front of your non-believing friends or your believing friends or you just completely lost it in a business meeting and you just said things that you should never have said in anger. I don't know what you're thinking about but you're saying, Stephen, as far as my public witness goes, I've blown it. Close your eyes. If that's you, to encourage you to Admit it to God. It's always, as God wants to transform us, it's always going to come down to repentance and faith. Repenting, God, I've blown it. Admit before Him, I'm the hypocrite. I'm that Pharisee. I'm the compromiser. I've retreated. You, you fill in the blanks. Maybe like me, you're wanting to kind of do the right thing, but when you think about the Jesus way, you just know that maybe it is more about fitting in than anything else. Just admit it before God, not for condemnation. Moments of truth. And now at this point where we are so aware maybe of how we've blown it, we're going to ask God to fill that space with courage and boldness. We're going to ask God to humble ourselves with boldness, to repent with boldness, to get baptized with boldness, to love with boldness, to live with boldness, to speak with boldness and gentleness and respect. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in prison. The believers get together to pray. Do you know what they prayed for? They did not pray that God would release Peter and John. They did not pray that the opposition would go away. They did not pray that their lives would be made easy. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for courage that they might speak the Word of God with boldness. And the chapter ends, that Spirit comes down, God's empowering presence comes down and fills them with boldness. And they go from that place, speaking the Word of God with boldness. Guys, let us not go out in our own power. Yes, let us be convicted and let us walk in faith. But I'm going to ask, if your prayer is, God, meet me where I am at, even in my failures. 
Now I'm going to ask for boldness. I'm going to ask you for, to stand and just to put out both hands just as a symbol of you being willing to receive. Lord, we're going to pray for boldness. Lord, we want to receive from your Spirit the God who boldly humbled Himself, the God who boldly suffered on our behalf, the God who boldly loved His enemies, the God who boldly lived amongst sinners, the God who boldly loved the God who knew when it was time to speak and how to speak. God, we ask that you would supply us with boldness. Holy Spirit, we're not necessarily asking that our circumstances change. We're not necessarily asking that we walk out of here and life's a peach. We're asking for boldness, that whatever comes our way, we can be the hands and feet of God in this world. Give us more boldness, Jesus. More boldness. More of yourself in us. Give us this gift of boldness. Give me boldness to repent, admit I've been wrong. Give me the boldness to walk humbly. Give me the boldness to speak with gentleness and respect. Give me the boldness to speak up. Give me the boldness to love, to repay insult with a blessing. Give me boldness to be part of a community where I am vulnerable, but yet available to be filled by you and to be filled with love and encouraged that I may be spurred on to live boldly. May I take those steps. God, may I live boldly confronting whatever opposition is in front of me, but in a way that brings honor and glory to you. May I boldly take the step this, this day and go forward and I'm going to get baptized boldly next weekend. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you impart. Thank you for this gift from heaven. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.